I have been looking forward to preaching this particular message. It is not an easy message to preach. It is um, looking at some of the most uh, difficult apocalyptic visions that, that there will be in the, uh, in the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ. I, I have normally about 10 pages of notes when I come to preach. I have 15 today, and so I might carry this over next week. And so I'm warning you that it may be a little late, or it may be on time, and you'll get to hear the rest next week. I'm not too sure how it's going to go. We'll see how that works. There is, at the beginning of every message I preach, usually a doctrine that I want you to take home. And this is the doctrine for today. Satan is at work in this world to lead astray as many people as he is able to deceive. He wants to lead many souls, as many as he can, into the paths of destruction and ultimately to their eternal doom. That's his goal. Now, with that in mind, I want you to consider what the Apostle Paul says in his letter to the Ephesians before we go on. He says this one verse, which I believe is going to help us embrace this idea. Ephesians 6.12, we read, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And this particular vision is going to take us into that realm today. A brief review of what we've done so far. The book of the Revelation is a series of visions given to the Apostle Paul. It is in the apocalyptic form. That means that it is a vision that must be interpreted. And so in the first vision, we saw a vision of the church on earth. We saw the Lord Jesus Christ in his glory walking among his churches. And he had letters sent to the churches in Asia Minor, which is now today Turkey. They contained promises on how to overcome. The second vision involved God's throne and the opening of seven seals. And so as we can see, one vision looked at the earth on the church. The next vision looked at the throne of God in heaven and Christ opening seven seals. Now the third vision takes us to another place. It looks at the ungodly on the earth. So as we can see, the visions, they migrate from God's people, the church on the earth, goes to heaven, sees God's throne, and then now back on earth, and we see the ungodly. And so with this, we can see that there is a striking similarity between what is about to happen by way of the trumpets that is very similar to what happened to the Egyptians when Moses was told to take the people out of slavery. Very similar things. The first four trumpets involved the frailty of how the grass and the trees were opposed by fire and hail. We saw the introduction of blood that brings drastic changes there. The falling of a great star that destroys a sweet giving of water. The removal of light by one-third. These were very similar things in the first four trumpets that were also reflected in the plagues of Egypt. Now we're getting into the last three trumpets. We saw the first four trumpets. They reflected the same things that we saw in Egypt. But the last three trumpets have been set aside by themselves. And they are called woes. An angel flew over heaven. 
and said, woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. And please take note of that. Because the inhabitants of the earth, I want you to consider yourself as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, as a citizen of heaven. Though you are here, you are a sojourner here. You are only passing through this life. But there are those who are not believers, and they are the inhabitants of this earth. And so the last three trumpets are rather grouped together in great woes. Very similar to the idea of the seals that were broken. The four seals were grouped together as the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And the last three seals were then dealt with separately, just like the trumpets are. So let's go as a very brief introduction to this. God, if you recall from last week, God is using the means of grace to bring prideful men to the end of their own strength. That was the conclusion that we came to last week. And so with remembering that, we must remember that God is telling us and showing us that all of our strength is inadequate to keep our souls safe from His judgment, safe from what is true justice. We are not afraid of a God who is going to mistreat us. Sinners should be afraid of a God who is just and is right. The world needs to understand that they need to be afraid of a good God. They need to be fearing of a God who is purely just in his dealings. And so when you are an inhabitor of the earth and not a believer, there is a woe to be pronounced upon you. Woe upon the dwellers of the earth. So let's go to these verses and go through them one at a time from verses uh, 1 all the way to today. We're going to verse number 12. Verse, um, chapter 9, verse 1. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fall from heaven. And he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. Now remember, these angels are called by God because Jesus Christ opened the seals. And this trumpet is being brought out of the last seal. Now the seals, remember, that's Christ's authority to do what he's dealing with. Christ has the authority to deal with a sinful world. And so with that, this trumpet is showing us that a star is, had fallen from heaven. Now, I ask you a question, and answer this in your own mind. Is this a real star? Is this a star of gas, hydrogen burning, perhaps a hundred times bigger than our own sun falling to the earth? Well, I think right away you're going to say, well, that cannot possibly be literally true. But we've already seen one star fall from heaven, did we not? We saw one called Wormwood. Is that also a real star? I want you to consider the fact that this is an apocalyptic vision, and it must be interpreted. And so, when it comes to the previous star called Wormwood, that's something that makes sweet waters bitter. And there's nothing sweeter than the sweet water of the gospel. But when Satan is involved and his design is to teach false doctrines, he can make the gospel bitter. And it said that one-third of those that drank that water died. And so now we have another image of a star coming and falling to earth. And it's the sign, you know, that is, I have to tell you, I believe that this is Satan. Because at the end of chapter, I mean, uh, at the end of this group of verses, chapter, you know, uh, verse number 12, it actually says that this star has a name. 
He is the leader of all the locusts that come out of the pit. His name is Destroyer. And so, since it refers to as a, as a he, this particular he is also given a key. And so we can say that this person who fell from heaven is given a key and he is now able to do some things that he was not able to do before. Now, most commentators are going to agree with me, that is, well, maybe I agreed with them, that this is Satan. So, Joel Beakey, which is uh, one of the people that I've been reading, had a very interesting observation when he read this verse. He said it reminded him of what the Lord was teaching in Luke chapter 10. And I know you all remember that, right? But just in case you don't, let me remind you of what it says in Luke chapter 10, verse 17. Listen to the words. I'll give you the background. The Lord is about to talk to the 70 that he had sent out to preach. These were sent to cities to prepare the way when Christ would then go to them. And so when they came back, they were rejoicing, saying, the demons were... Uh, we're obeying us. We would cast them out and they would leave and they were just rejoicing. So let's see what the Lord responds to that. Verse number 17 of Luke 10. The 70 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Now he's saying this to the 70. Behold, I give you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions, and over all the authority of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. <coughs> Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your name, that your names are written in heaven. It is interesting that the Lord uses the same words such as serpents and scorpions, the type of imagery that's often used for the devil himself, and especially for these creatures coming out of the pit that are referred to as having tails that sting like scorpions. So Beaky, that is uh, Joel Beaky, he says there's two possible interpretations, and I believe that both of these may be true. They can be true at the very same time. One of the interpretations is that this refers to the Lord thinking back, way back, when Satan fell. There, is, there are some verses in Isaiah I would like to read to you, referring that many people refer, think that these verses refer, refer to the fall of Satan. And this is in Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 15, so please listen. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend up into heaven, and I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. And I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, and I will be like the Most High. And thou shalt be brought, yet thou shalt be brought down to hell, to the sides of the pit. And so, this is one possible explanation or interpretation of this passage that Christ said, I can remember back when Satan fell. And he's talking to the 70, and he's saying to them, Isn't it wonderful that these demons listen to you, but do not think that this is what should make you happy, that they listen to you. Because one of the reasons that Satan fell from heaven was his own pride. But yet you should rejoice that your names are written in heaven. This is what you should take away from it. Now the other possible interpretation, which I believe is also true, is this. The disciples were amazed at how the demons were obedient to their commands. However, the Lord has said to them, 
Every time a demon is cast out, Satan's dominion is diminished. Satan's authority is diminished, and his power on the earth grows smaller. And therefore, he is falling. He is a fallen creature, but he is still falling, still losing his power. As the gospel goes out, as the gospel gives light to people, because the light is going to be different than the darkness that comes out of the pit. There's going to be that great image of saying, some people cannot understand the truth. Their eyes are, are hidden from it. They're in the dark. So that's one way of looking at this. But we must consider the fact that there's also imagery that we must consider concerning the pit itself. Now, I've often thought about the, the scriptures. There are so many scriptures in the Proverbs and in the Psalms. There is wisdom that can be gained when someone reads, a man that digs a pit for his neighbor. Now, I, th I think most of you can already know what I'm about to say. The man who digs a pit for his neighbor to fall into, that man was the one that's going to fall into the pit. The one who digs the pit is the one that's going to fall into the pit. In other words, though people may try to lay a trap for someone else, though people may try to deceive other people, it is the one who tries to deceive. That's the one who will be deceived. And when Satan he says that his abode is in a pit, and believe me, he wants as many people as he can to be in that pit. But the fact of the matter is, he is the one that will be assigned to it forever and ever. It is that case with him. The one interesting thing before I move on from this point is this. It is described as a bottomless pit. I don't know about you, I've, I've dug some holes in my life, but I've never dug a hole that had no bottom. I can only go so far. And you may say, well, what kind of a pit is that? Surely Satan didn't do that. Well, I consider sin against God as something that must be judged by the very character of God. And I've heard many people say, you know, why does God put people into hell forever? Why can't they just pay for their sin in, in an hour? I mean, after all, it only took an hour to commit the sin. Why does it have to be an, an hour or a day or a year? It is, it's not even 10 years. It's not even 10,000 years. Why does punishment have to be forever? The pit that is designed for you to fall in has no bottom. Do you know why? Here is my speculation. Remember, I've always told you that I would tell you when I'm speculating. But I based my speculation upon the Word of God, upon things that I know are true. When men sin against God, they sin from their heart. They sin from their heart. And when they sin from their heart, God is telling us that hatred will never stop. It will never stop. Just because people in, are in hell does not mean they stop hating God. Just because people can commit one sin, it doesn't mean that they stop. As lengthy and as deep and as enduring as their sin is, so is the justice that opposes them. Satan wants every man who lives in darkness and lives in sin to remain in that sin, to nurture his hatred of God, to continue in his hatred of God, to say there is a pit called the heart of a man that has no bottom to its hatred of God. And there is that pit 
where all justice will be done. Now you may say, why does it have to burn so hot? I tell you this, the men and demons that go to the pit carry with them the fuel that burns in hell. And what is the fuel? The hatred of God that brings judgment upon them. And God brings them because he is that fiery God. He is the one that he is a, is a consuming fire. Why is he a consuming fire? Because his justice is pure against the hatred of what is right and good and pure. And especially God himself who is the wellspring of all that is good. And their sin never ends. And so the justice never ends. The pit is there. This is the pit that Satan comes from. This is the type of thing that we have to deal with. Revelation chapter 9, verse 2. <laughs> See, we're going to finish, aren't we? Okay. <laughs> Revelation chapter 9, verse 2. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke, like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Now, this is interesting for us to see that smoke comes out of the pit and that it darkens the sun. It's like a great furnace. Now, if you recall, there was a time in Egypt when darkness fell upon the whole land with the exception of Goshen, and that is where God's people were. Now, there is this smoke that comes up. And the way I understand this, the locust that comes out of the smoke, now I'm going to kind of get ahead of myself just a little bit, but I'm going to come back to this. The locusts are told you cannot harm any of the people that have the seal of God on their forehead. Only those who are unbelievers, only those who do not have the mark. And so I say to this, the smoke that is obscuring the light is for the unbeliever. God has a way of making men blind to the things they do not want to see. They do not want to see it. And Satan has been given the key to allow him to do these things, to blind the minds of those who do not believe and do not want to believe. Their hearts are pit against God and against all that he should do. So, Satan could have done this, couldn't he? He has a will. He could have taken that key and said, Oh, no, thank you. I shouldn't be doing this. But what does he do? He immediately takes the key and opens the pit. And now I ask you, who's in charge of this world? I mean, I believe that the things coming out of this pit, they're not Apache helicopters, okay? They're, they're really not. The things that come out of the pit are the things that support and serve and are the minions of Satan. They're demonic forces. They come out and they want to come out. They come out with eagerness to harm as many people as they possibly can. They want to harm. They would harm everyone, especially the believers. But they didn't get that key. They only got the key that will harm those who do not want to know the truth. And therefore, the blindness of the smoke, the darkness that they live in, they are all falling into their own pit. And they're all willingly ignorant of the truth. 
Are you all hearing Romans chapter 3 again? Romans chapter 2? All the preaching of the gospel is here? It is all here, but in an apocalyptic form. So we should seriously consider that the images of this apocalyptic vision is how God is using evil for his purposes and glory. And this is something that is very difficult for people to understand. It is very, very difficult to understand that the demons have been given a key to do much harm to, to unbelievers in this world. And they seem to be in control. Well, are they? Well, they have a key, do they not? Apollyon, that is, Satan himself, has unleashed and has been given permission to do certain things. And boy, is he doing it. He is not backing off an inch. He is not saying, well, I'll do some of it, but I'm not that bad. He will do all that he can. All that he is able to do. So, remember the pit from which you were dug. That God pulled you out of the pit. Made of the same lump of everyone who is now living in darkness. May we preach the gospel, the truth, the light, that they may see the light. It is our job to be the light to the unconverted. It is our job. Verse number three. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions on the earth. You know, out of the smoke. Actually, I would assume that they all came out of the pit, but it's out of the darkness. It is out of the ignorance. It is out of the lies and deceptions that the locusts are actually coming. They come out. I want you to remember the last verse of the last chapter. Let me read it to you. I behold an angel flying through the midst of the heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the other voices of the trumpets of the three angels which are about to sound. And I want to repeat what I said before. This is a vision of the inhabitants of the earth who do not have the seal of God upon them. The first vision, Christ and his church on the earth. The second vision, the throne of God, where the seals are broken. The third vision, those who are in the darkness, who will not and does not want to see the truth of God. So we have an apocalyptic vision. The symbolism here is quite clear to me. You have a vision of locusts, but they have the power and the sting of scorpions. I'd like to read to you something uh, concerning the teaching of our Lord when it came, when it comes to praying. And, you know, I'm, I'm not taking, this is kind of a little aside thing, a little, you know, a little rabbit's going to run off, and, but I'm going to come right back, I promise. But I want you to listen to the way he teaches about prayer. In Luke chapter 11, our Lord says this, To everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. That's a wonderful teaching, is it not? But listen, what father among you, if he asks for a fish, if his son asks for a fish, will he give him instead a serpent? Now, this is an image. Because surely, you know, uh, you wouldn't give your son a serpent. Now, Isaac and I have eaten snake before, but, you know, it wasn't the best. And, you know, if he asked for a fish, I wouldn't give him that. And if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? You see, these two things seem to be one of the favorite images 
used to describe something that this is something you don't want. You see, Satan has been described as a subtle serpent, a dragon. And those that follow him, that's been given permission to torment men, are described with, as being scorpions. But this is, this is the lesson that he's teaching in praying. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit to them who ask? Now, do you see the contrast? The images of, would you rather have a snake or fish? Would you rather have an egg or a scorpion? But if you ask, you get the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, as in contrast to what the world is wanting. What does the world want? They would rather stay in their darkness. Do you see the difference? When you seek God, if you want to be saved, ask the Holy Spirit to say, help me from my sin. Don't give me money. Don't just heal me from a disease. Don't just let me be the best I can be in this world. Please save me from my sin. Let the Holy Spirit come to me. Teach me by your Holy Spirit. He will not give you a scorpion. He will not give you a serpent. He will give you his Holy Spirit. Do you see the darkness that we are in today? And the spiritual battle that we are engaged in? They will do as much damage as they can. The devil and all his demons are going to do as much as they can, but they cannot go one millimeter, one nanometer further than when God says you can go that far and no further. You cannot go any further than that. So who is in charge of this world? Are the demons in charge or is God in charge? I think Joel Beakey said it pretty well. He said, the devil is a slave to God's providence. Even though the devil does what he wants, and so do every unsaved person. And I would say this, by virtue of the power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit working within us, within us we do what we want too. It's just that we've been given a brand new want to. We've been given a brand new heart. We've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit to know what is right and what is true. One more verse, Revelation chapter 9, verse 4. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth, or the green plant, or any tree, but only the people who do not have the seal of God in their foreheads. Isn't that a strange contrast? You tell locusts, don't eat the grass. Really? Well, these locusts, anyhow. But you see, the contrast is made like this. Don't eat the grass, eat these men. As though these men had the seal of God upon them. The grass, the green tree. But those other men you may have, the ones without the seal of God. We can see that there is a limit to the freedom that they've been given. And, and, and believe me, I use the word freedom in a very careful way. It's often so misused, the word freedom. To be free to do what? To be free. There's one thing that I've often thought about in the power of God, in the way he controls everything so well, he is in control of everything, and yet we are creatures of probability. We are creatures of chance and of lot, casting of lots. 
I have a good friend who's an actuary. You know what that is? He's a guy that works for an insurance company, and he has all the charts of probabilities. There's a science and a math field dedicated to probability. Or another way of saying, what are the chances? <laughs> what are the chances of this? And what are the chances of that? God's creation is so well made, so well designed, that he is not the God of probability, but we are creatures of probability. We must trust God, but God is someone who can be trusted. No probability with God, but we are creatures to say, well, what do you think? Will the sun come up tomorrow? I think so. Let's plan for the next day. Are we going to have rain? Well, I don't know. Maybe so, maybe not. We don't know. Creatures of probability. Creatures of saying, perhaps I should plan. Perhaps I should be prudent. Perhaps I should think. Why? Because we don't know. But we are creatures that can have faith and confidence in the God who does. Do you see the difference? Is this world designed where we have absolutely no way of knowing? In other words, it, does, does even God say, I wonder how this is going to work out? No, he does not. He does not, but we do. However, if you believe what God says, we know what's going to happen. We know what's going to happen. And so the question is, who's in control of this world? Well, I'll tell you what, it sure looks like the devil's in control. It does. But I know for a fact that God is in control. It's just what it is. It's just what it is. You can harm those, but you cannot harm them. That's the key. That's in the key. That's what's given to them. They're told in a very strange way that these are locusts, but they also have the stings of scorpions. What do locusts do? They swarm. Don't they swarm? Now, I was a one, you know, I don't think I really saw a real locust, but when I was a small boy, I saw, um, I believe they're called Acadia. Cicadia, thanks. I saw a swarm of these bugs, and they, they, they got onto a tree in our backyard, and it was a big tree. They ate that tree down to the, to the raw wood. It was just gone. That is, it was like a skeleton. It's like seeing a skeleton there after they left. They swarm in numbers. Now, the creatures that come out of this pit, that come out of the darkness, come out of the smoke, they're described as locusts. You know why? Because there's a lot of them. And they are bent on doing damage, all that they can do. But the one thing that they also have been given is the description of a scorpion. A description of a scorpion. Now, scorpions are not like that. They don't, you know, if you tell a locust, don't eat the grass, they're going to be disappointed. And believe me, I'm sure these demons are disappointed that, that they're not given permission to, to consume God's people but they will consume all that they're able to. And these scorpions have a way of tormenting people. I'm going to, I'm going to go just one more verse, if that's all right, and then we'll take the rest next week. They, allowed, they were allowed to torment them five months, but not kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. Now, this is a particular description which means that 
they're only allowed to do this a certain amount of time. And some people say five months. Hmm. Let's take a look at history. Was that when the Turks came out and conquered this? Is that when the Ottoman Empire fell? You know, you can read all kinds of things about this. You can go in a hundred different directions. But I do enjoy a little bit of what Joel Beakey said about this particular length of time. Because if we looked at the number seven, it seemed to say, well, that seems to be the complete number of how God says, all my spirit, all of my spirit. Or the number 10, everything about this situation, north, south, east, west, 10 crowns, kind of a complete thing. But five, it's like this is, this is just out of nowhere. However, five is the number of months of a complete harvest. Five is also the number of months of a lifespan of a locust. Now, I don't know, maybe that's it. Let's just kind of walk with that and go with that for a few minutes. If that's the case, then God is actually saying to the locusts, you cannot kill or harm or do anything to those with the seal of God on their forehead, but those who do not, you only have permission to torment them their whole life. That's all. The time in which they are having their growing season. And you say, well, that's, that's kind of a long time. Well, you can't torment them after their death. You can't torment before them, but during their whole lifetime. That makes this type of apocalyptic vision something that every Christian and every unbeliever is subject to. That's my opinion. As a symbol, scorpions have a way of tormenting people like no other creature. Like, for example, they sting. Well, you know, there's a lot of insects that can sting. It's like, like, like for example, a honeybee. A honeybee sometimes really frightens people. But honeybees have very positive attributes. They pollinate plants. They produce honey. And believe it or not, they avoid people when they can. But you take a scorpion. A scorpion pollinates nothing, makes no honey, and they actually intrude into the lives of people by hiding in the darkness. They'll crawl in your shoes. They'll crawl in your sleeping bag. They will be in your closets. And you'll open up something, and there they are. Because they like it dark, and they don't mind being around people. And they will sting you. I've seen enough scorpions. I don't like them. Scorpions will burn when they sting you. These creatures have that ability from out of the darkness to be in your life. Now, I'm talking to the unbeliever now. They have the ability to live in lies, to live in deception, to live where people fail to teach you the truth and they will sting your life and it will make you wish that you had never been born. There is an interesting passage that we'll get to next week. I wish I could say it now, but it's just going to mess up my notes. I wish I could. <laughs> but it has to do with the idea of the head and the tail of these creatures. And I'll just say this. The darkness that is experienced by the world in a great part of it is false 
doctrine of the scriptures. It's the doctrines of the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ that have been perverted. Been perverted. I'm going to just give you a part of what I want you to take home, and then we'll go over, cover it more de in detail next week. There are some questions that sometimes are addressed, and people say, wow, this is way up here, and it hurts my head, the words are big, you know, that type of thing. But there are some questions that are in the hearts and minds of a lot of people. One of those questions can be like this, who is in real control of this world? Or another question may be like this, where in the world did sin ever come from? And why didn't God stop it at the beginning? Because when I read this passage, God obviously has the power. It was given to them. It was said to them. It was commanded them. Christ has that authority. He's the one that breaks the seals. And I'll, give, I'll put it to you this way. We may say, I have those thoughts, but I'm going to give you the simple answer now, and I'll give you a better answer next week. The simple answer now is this. No matter how smart a person is, whether he's a metaphysician, or whether he's a philosopher, or whether he's a theologian, they may be smarter than me, and they may even be smarter than you, but they're only confused on a higher level, that's all. They're confused better than you, that's all. But the bottom line is this, do you trust God? Do you trust God? Because if you trust God that he has never sinned, that he is not a sinner, that he would never do what is wrong, but is still in control, and he is omnipotent, omniscient, he is everywhere present, and yet there is sin. And so can you say, why did he permit it? Well, I'd have to say he did, since he has all power and it's still around. I can only say this, I believe there's a good reason for it. Why? Because God did it. Now, I may not be the smartest guy, the sharpest knife in the drawer, or anything else, but I do know that God does not lie, and that he is holy, and that he is good, and he has never done wrong. Never. Never. But our God is in control. We live in a world of probabilities. But our God is above that because he's created everything from the very beginning. From the very beginning, he said this, I made all things very good. Very good. Very good. How good does it have to be for the Almighty to say it's very good? This is something we can rest our souls upon. This is something that we can commit our souls to. And we can endure to the very end. We can live no matter how bad it gets because our God reigns and our God is in control. And he has given us what we need to live through all this. The world is at the mercy of the merciless. But we are able to defend ourselves with shields of faith. Helmets of salvation. All the things to quench the fiery darts of the devil. They cannot harm us. They cannot take our souls away. They cannot but we have the freedom to live to the glory of God in this life. And with this, we'll give, give the message back to God. We'll take it up again next week. If we would, go to the Lord in prayer. Our Holy Father, I ask now 
that you would embolden your saints to trust you, to believe in you, to say to themselves, no matter what comes in my life, I will trust my God. I will trust him no matter what, whether it be cancer, whether it be nuclear holocaust, whether it be AIDS, no matter what comes our way, we know, Lord, that our soul is safe in your hands and that this life is simply an opportunity to live for your glory no matter what comes our way. May our lives be offered as a sacrifice well-pleasing in your sight. We pray this in our Lord's name. Amen.